At the end of his life, the Apostle Peter wrote one last letter to the church. There were certain things he wanted them to always remember after he was gone. There were also certain qualities he wanted them to live by, and he made some amazing promises to motivate them to do so. Today's bonus audio is a message given by my friend and mentor Cecil Bean, exploring what Peter had to say to the believers of his day and to us. The eight essential things in the Christian life, and, and I robbed that from Peter so, uh, in Second Peter, so it won't just be my opinion, it'll, it'll be his. Uh, when you go to church uh, for the years to come, and if you're very active, if your church attends a whole lot, you may go Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, I don't know. You may hear up to 150 messages in a year. And year after year, it's going to be difficult to figure out what are the primary things and what are the supportive things in the Christian life. And if you eventually can't figure out what the primary things is from the supportive things, uh, it's going to be very difficult for you to make it in the Christian life. When you're a parent, if, if you can't figure out what things you must let slide with your children and what things you must come in strong on, then uh, you'll have trouble raising up a, a, good, a good son or daughter. Uh, so it's very important to figure the majors from the minors and that's what I want to try to do tonight is try to uh, uh, use Second Peter to illuminate where the majors might be in the Christian life where the minors might be uh, TV does this sometimes we call it yellow journalism sometimes they'll grab a section and then they'll spend a lot of time on that one section blow it out of proportion like tabloids often do and it can give you the wrong impression of what truth is. And it's our responsibility, not just to rely on speakers, but to get in the Word personally to figure out what truth is. We won't be able to hide behind uh, some misconception that someone taught us. We have got to figure out what the majors in the Christian life are. Fort Campbell is a military base, and uh, it happens to be infantry. The purpose of the army is infantry. Not communications, not transportation, not food service, uh, not quartermaster, infantry. Once the military person begins to think that the other branches, which are supportive of the infantry, are more important, now you're going to have turmoil within the system. To find out what are the essentials from what are the aids is absolutely critical. You've got to figure that out. And I want to pick one section where I think Peter does that, out of 2 Peter 1. And if you uh, do have your Bibles, maybe you'll follow along with me. And then uh, I'll let you take a couple of years to uh, assimilate this and see if you agree with it. Peter's going to make some massive claims in here, and so do try to stay with me. And I'm going to try to go through the whole thing. Uh, it's only three chapters, and I'll briefly cover so that we can draw out these eight things. So I'm not, I, I uh, have chose not to bring some really uh, profound uh, message that maybe you've never heard before, but rather to give focus on what the majors are. Second Peter 1 starts off like this, where Peter says he's a bondservant, of Christ, 
And now this is important to those who have received a faith of the same kind of ours. Remember that. So they're genuine, genuinely rooted in Christ. And then verse 2, uh, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Then in 3, says, seeing that his, his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that, all right, the drum roll, in order that by them you might become, become partakers of the divine nature. Take note of that divine nature. Because that is where we want to get to. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, if you'll stop just a minute. Verses 5, 6, and 7. Uh, Peter is going to give a laundry list of eight things. But rather than you read those things... I'd like, you to, I'd like to jump over that passage just for a few minutes, cover some more, then we'll come back to it. And you'll see why after we finish. So try not to peek if you can avoid it. it. We won't, you know, damage anything if you do, but try not to peek. Let's jump to 8, because the, really the purpose of Peter's message is verses 5, 6, and 7. And you'll see why. Jump to verse 8. For if these qualities that he just listed are yours, and you are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter says, if, if these eight things are increasing, you are good to go. But he says in 9, but he who lacks these qualities is blind, short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from former sins. You're in trouble if you don't have those eight things. Now he's going to begin to talk about these things. In verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain of his calling and choosing of you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in 11, For in this way the entrance of the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. 12, Therefore, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you will already know them. Now, that's why I ask you to bypass it. Because Peter thinks that you already should know them. And I think he's right. So it isn't that, that understanding deeper, profound truths needs to be your quest. It's to practice the simple things that you already know is the key to the Christian life. And he'll give that list in just a minute. So... Remind you of these things even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. 13. And I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. Knowing, 14, that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent. He knows he's going to die. And so here a guy is, he's going to die. He's Really, after we finish this, this book, I, I think you, you may agree that the only reason he wrote the book was verses 5, 6, and 7. And this, this is his last dying. They're going to they're they're kill me, so keep this in mind. Verse 15. For I will be, uh, be also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you may be able to call these things to mind. If you can hang on to these things... 
You'll be good to go. Then 16, 17, he says they were eyewitness of, of, of the Messiah. Uh, 18, uh, we, uh, we all ourselves heard this utterance from the heaven when, they, when God spoke to him. So he's, he's firsthand, and he talks about in 20 and 21 that no scriptures has a private interpretation. And now he jumps into chapter 2. Now in chapter 2, he's going to spend the whole chapter talking about the enemy of these things. He's going to be talking about uh, false prophets. Those who are going to take you away from these things. When we think of false prophets, we usually think of guys who are, uh, are, are dressed in black with black hats and, you know, or spooky or something. Uh, often, false, pro- false prophets can merely not know which way to go. Once they become disoriented and you listen to them, then you'll be disoriented. We had a saying a long time ago, when there's a mist in the pulpit, there's a fog in the pew. And so it's pretty important to watch out for people who will take you away from these things. And, and when they preach them, then you'll know that they're supportive and not primary. Let's continue. Chapter 2, verse 1. But he says, watch out for these false prophets. In verse 2, uh, for they follow, they're after sensuality. Verse 3, their greed will exploit you. Uh, and their destruction is not asleep. Verse 4, uh, if God didn't spare the angels, He's not going to spare them. Uh, verse 5 talks about Noah and uh, the destruction of people in his day. Verse 6, Sodom and Gomorrah and the people that He condemned during their day. Uh, Lot in 7. Then He talks about in 8 that, uh, that they, they had lawless deeds. And so He's talking about these bad guys. Verse 10, they despise authority. Uh, so forth. Uh, Fifteen. They forsake the right way, as did Balaam. And so he he's constantly talking about watch out for these guys, so they don't take you away from this. Verse nineteen. Promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. Verse twenty. After they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord, if once these guys escape and they turn back. Then they become like the dog that returns to his vomit. And uh, I'll, I'll, I don't know, I'm going to skip that doctrinally. I'm not sure all that means, but I know it's bad. Vomit's bad. And so uh, he says that they're in trouble. Now let's jump to three. Chapter three. This is how, now beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you, which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember This is what he's reminding them. That you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the prophets. And I'm going to show you in a minute how that the prophets talked about these things. By the commandment of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to show you how that 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 was a primary message of Jesus. And lastly, of the apostles. And then he talks about uh, the the last days. And so in verse 3 only, he talks about the second coming. And he moves all the way, talking about the second coming, until verse 14. And then he moves back to his topic. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless, and blameless. And regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation, just as also our beloved brother, according to the wisdom given him, listen to this, wrote to you as also in all his letters, speaking in them of 
these things. Peter re realized that Paul was speaking about these same things. And so Peter thinks he has his hands around a jugular in which some things are hard to understand and it's easy to distort them. And so in 17, Therefore, beloved, know this beforehand. Be on your guard, lest being carried away. And that's why he spent chapters 2 and 3. Lest you be carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. And then he talks about uh, his farewell. So now let's, let's go back. His whole, I, his whole message is built around verses 5, 6, and 7. And let's, let's figure out. So uh, if, if you want to, when I have more time, I like to play a little game. Uh, but it may not be possible tonight. What I like to do is try to prove to you that you do know what these things are. In other words, it isn't a matter of learning more and more and more and going to seminary so you can learn more and more. It's really a matter of obedience to what you understand. And, and if, if, we would do, if we would play this game, I would begin to talk about what these were and give you hints, and maybe I can uh, uh, play part of it, in order to show that you can follow right along with what these things are. And therefore, your focus needs to be practicing these things uh, rather than trying to learn more and more deeper truths. All right, with, without peeking, now if you peek uh, and I ask you, you can't answer. Is that fair? Now, I'm going to go to verse 5. And now, for this very reason, applying all diligence, it's not a matter of, matter of meandering, it's all diligence in your faith. Supply something to your faith. And so, when a person, person first becomes a Christian, and he uh, has faith in Christ, and he lays that foundation, uh, let me ask it this way. Why do most people not want to become a Christian over here? Why, do mo why didn't you choose to become a Christian earlier than you did? I think it's boring. Uh, there's, they do. They do. There's, there's something bigger than boringness that stops most of them. It has to do with goodness. And it, uh, now, the, the reason I didn't become a Christian, and I think you'll be able to identify with this, is I didn't want to change the way I was living. Uh, they've done surveys, and sometimes 70 and 80 percent of the people don't have a problem with God. When it comes to who He is, they have a problem with conforming their lives to what He said. And so, when it when it comes to adding something to your foundation of faith, the thing that most people don't want to change is their morality. The reason I didn't become a Christian sooner than I did had to do with changing my morality standards. And, and most people really struggle with that. How are they going to, to, to control their immorality uh, and become a Christian? And so, Peter says, in order to, to you add something to your faith, you add moral excellence. You add moral excellence. So you begin to carry through with the repentance that you laid when you first became a Christian. Once the morality goes, the Christianity breaks down. Because immorality damages people. And so once he, once he says you've added morality, moral excellence to your faith, the next thing you want to begin to add is this. Now, if you haven't looked, which maybe 2% of you might not have looked right now, if you haven't looked, once you uh, turn to Christ, you begin to carry through with your repentance by changing your life, what's the next thing you want to do? 
Once you do what you know to do, what would be the next th- thing you need to do? What's that? Be knowledgeable. Be knowledgeable. Okay, that, that's, that would be the right direction. What now? Okay, now that I'm doing what I what now? And so what, uh, what Peter calls this is you've got to add to your moral excellence knowledge. You've got to... And so this is where we talk about you've got to get in the Bible. In order to understand what God has for you, you have to have a devotional life. You need to be involved in Bible study. You need to be memorizing scriptures that God is trying to impress upon your heart so that you can listen to what He has to say to you. Because, see, if you don't, you'll be caught up in your own thinking. You can't help but be caught up in your own thinking. And some of your thinking goes contrary to God's thinking. Some of it goes similar. Some of it goes not similar. So it's, it's important to begin to find out how God thinks. Jesus said if you want to save your life, it's illogical. You have to lose your life. And so that, go, that goes contrary to logic. We would think if you'd save your life, give yourself a good time and enjoy it. But in fact, that ends up destroying your life in the long run. And so, uh, to be able to add knowledge to your morality is give you direction on which way to go. And then the fourth thing he says, after you add knowledge to your, your moral excellence, if you haven't peaked, once you begin to hear what God wants you to do, what do you do next? You do it. That's, uh, Peter should have said it that way. He said uh, self-control. He said, you add self-control to your knowledge. So Peter's not trying to bowl you over with some, some fresh information that he just got out of seminary that he didn't attend. Uh, he's trying to tell you just the obvious things you have to do in the Christian life. You've got to be in the Bible, and then you've got to be able to practice what the Bible tells you. If you can't do that, then you begin to get ruptured right there at this level. So... Uh, self-control. And that's why Jesus never called His followers Christians. Not that that would have been a bad thing, but He always called His disciples, or His followers, disciples. Disciplined learners. It was descriptive. And, and so, uh, moving toward uh, uh, self-control is the essential part of what it means to uh, arrive at the divine nature. Because that's the target that we're aiming at, is the divine nature. Self-control. Now, this next one would have a hard time following this next one because it doesn't sound like a, uh, it would be uh, in the same sequence. So if you add to your faith moral excellence and then you move to, to knowledge and then self-control, uh, let me, uh, in order to give you this next one, I have to give you a hint. What if I told you that I entered a double marathon? 52 miles. What, what would be your first impression? You know me too well. Some of them don't know me. You know, uh, what, you know, some people might say, well, that might be impressive. What if I told you I also enrolled my 82-year-old mom? So the point of, the point of beginning self-control is, is, is not the issue. Now, what if I told you I finished a double marathon? Then you might, I get, might get a genuine awe out of that. So it's not, it's not the beginners, it's the finishers. It's not the, uh, the, uh, the ones who would want to, it's the ones who do. And that's why Peter adds something to, perse- to, uh, 
the self-control. He adds perseverance to it. You've got to continue. You can't begin and drop out. And so, again, what, what Peter is doing for, for us is it isn't some grand thing that you haven't heard about yet in the Christian life. It isn't something that you still yet have to learn and figure out. It's a matter of practicing these eight themes in increasing manner. Increasing manner. So now, once, you've, once you're persevering in the things that you are self-controlled in, that you're learning from God, your life begins to pick up a certain flavor. And Peter calls this godliness. You begin to pick up a form of godliness in your Christian life because you're, you're practicing what God has, has, has told you to do. But now let me, uh, a startling point here. Godliness is not the same thing as the divine nature. And I'm afraid that many Christians may be lost in, uh, in, in a concept that being holy or, be, or trying not to sin is really what God is after. And that is only a means to an end. Becoming God, there are still two more uh, add-ons after godliness in order to arrive at the divine nature. If you live a godly life and that's all you do, then you fail. You fail. Because there's two more things that you must assemble in your life. Now, if you don't get to godliness, you're going to fail too. But, but you've got to get beyond godliness in order to succeed that what Peter is talking about in picking up the divine nature. And so, the next thing, he's, now you add to your godliness. Now that you, you're becoming, have some Christ-like characteristics in your life. Now the next thing he says, add to that godliness, is an interesting uh, term. And I had to work on this one. It was brotherly kindness. You begin to practice What's happening to you? And I thought, now, brotherly kindness, uh, that sounds kind of mild. Sounds kind of mild. Until I begin to, to, to figure something out. Uh, when Jesus summarized the entire law and the prophets, take a look at Matthew seven twelve. This is probably worth getting eye contact with. Matthew seven twelve. Remember, remember he said that, that, uh, that the prophets had told, uh, had told you these things also? Here it is. Matthew seven twelve. Jesus said, However, you want people to treat you, so treat them. For this is the law and the prophets. That is the teaching of the law and the prophets, is to treat people the way you want to be treated. Now, was the was the shouldn't shouldn't the summary of the law and the prophets be to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Doesn't that sound like a better summary of the law and the prophets? Well, it does to me. But not only did Jesus clearly teach this, Paul picked it up well too in, in Romans thirteen. Uh, one of the ways that you can verify truth is to find cross references to that truth. And so in, in Romans 13, listen to how Paul says the same thing that Jesus concluded. 
and starting in verse 8 of Romans 13. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For, if you shall, uh, for this you shall not commit adultery, murder, steal, covet. If there's any other commandment, it doesn't make any difference. It's summed up in the saying, you shall love your neighbors yourself. Love does no wrong to his neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. So when he talks about that, that a brotherly kindness is an, is an essential peg in reaching the divine nature, he deeply means it. The way you treat people, you're going to be judged directly. And that's why Jesus would say in verses like Matthew 5, 4, 6, 14, and 15, when he says verses like this, For if you forgive men their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. It's very essential to learn how to love people, to treat people the way you want to be treated. Because if you can't accomplish that feat, you can't accomplish the next feat. His eighth and final tier. And so uh, le- uh, the, the whole summary of the Old Testament is built around... And and it uh, and I, I want to hopefully I want to have some time to spend a little bit of time on this is not loving God per se, but it's learning how to love people. And I, I want to spend some time on that. Now he says, once you learn how to treat people the way you want to be treated, you've got one more thing left. Now and and in order to do this one thing, see even as as uh, in the Old Testament. Without the Holy Spirit, they had the ability to treat people the way they want to be treated. But in order to do this eighth thing, you're going to need help. Because now Jesus says, now you're to add to brotherly kindness the word agape, or loving one another. And now Jesus, uh, and Jesus gave a new commandment. Uh, he said, you know, you, you've heard these other commandments, but now let me give you a new commandment. You're to love one another as I have loved you. Now that may sound like the summary commandment, that you're to treat one another the way you want to be treated, but think about it. To treat one another the way you want to be treated is a horizontal relationship. But Jesus is going to put something bigger on our back. He's going to put a vertical relationship. Now not only am I to treat you the way I want to be treated, I'm to treat you the way Christ treats me. And that's the second mile. That's the... That's the uh, uh, going the extra uh, distance for the person that you're trying to help. And so in order to do that, you're going to need some help. You're going to need the Holy Spirit in your life. And so what God designed was to make sure that every believer has the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit enters your life, He doesn't enter alone. He carries something with Him. He carries a gift. At least one gift. And that one gift is what He expects you to learn how to use and help one another. And so, uh, it may take you a while to figure out what your gift is. 
I, I think God has kept that just a little secretive so that you can start helping people uh, as much as you can, and pretty soon you'll find your good in one particular area. Uh, and, and that's where your gift is. I found out that uh, my gift is affliction. Yeah. So, you, you know, so you, you, you move it at, at finding what you're good at, and, and then in your 30s, you'll be able to practice that gift more more clearly. So uh, it, it, now now here, here's here's the, the one of the biggest things that I, I, I want to conclude from this is this that why isn't the Bible talking about loving God instead of loving people? When the uh, the lawyer came to Jesus and said, Master, what is the greatest commandment? Now, when they asked him what the summary commandment was. Oh, that's, that's treating people the way you'll be treated. When they ask him, what, or when he gave what the new commandment is, oh, the new commandment, that's to love others the way I love you. But when they ask him the great commandment, there was a different answer. The great commandment, oh, well, that one's easy, that you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But, but the, the guy only asked him one commandment. What's the great commandment? That's easy enough instructions. But Jesus didn't stop at one commandment. Jesus had to give him two. Because, and, and he said there was a second one, like it. Now, most people, when they say like it, they, they think number one and number two. Well, I would like you to go through the, the, the Bible again. Or with many of you, maybe for the first time. And begin to ask the question. Is when he said there's another like it. And he said, and, and he couldn't leave this one hanging up here to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength. He said, the other one is to love your neighbor as I've loved you. And then he said something interesting. In Matthew 7, 12, he said, uh, this is the summary of all the law and the prophets. But in Matthew 22, and let's, let's turn to that so I can make this point. Matthew 22, 37. You shall love the Lord your God, 22, 37, with all your heart. With all your soul and with all your mind. That's what the guy asked. And this is the great foremost commandment. A second is like it. He didn't ask this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Now, if you remember back in Matthew 7 12, he said on this one commandment, or, or, uh, that you're to love one another is what the law and the prophets all about. Which is it? Is it the one commandment or is it the two commandments that the law and the prophets are all about? And the reason this is important is with this point. Turn to 1 John and I want to make my, uh, my conclusion on this. And this is going to be a hard, hard thing for some of y'all to, uh, to hear. But I, I, like I said, I'll give you two years to uh, research this and then come back and talk to you. In First uh, John four, John probably had the closest relationship to Jesus, and when you read First John, you'll find out First John didn't have a uh, an independent thought in his mind. He stole all this from Jesus, which has really uh, made him a wise man. Uh, he, he, he took what Jesus said and he put it in his letter in 1 John. 
But notice, and here's what he said in, in 1 John uh, 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, you can't be. What John is going to do is he's going to tie these two together. Loving God and loving people are inseparable. You can't love them, you can't separate these two in a vacuum. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. The reason John could be so bold as to say that is because it can't be. That is not the plan. You do not love God in a vacuum. You can love Him partially in a vacuum. You can sing praise songs and worship songs, and that's a form of love. But that's an incomplete form of love. Although I want very much for my children to think highly of me, that's in, I want more than that. I want them to become like me. God wants us to think very highly of Him. And we should. And we should... Uh, spend time in praise and worship and adoration. and uh, But if that's as far as it gets, and we don't pour over on the people, we have not achieved the divine nature. We have not perfected love. We fall incomplete. And we're the, 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 the child who says, I love you, Dad, but I'm not going to become like you. And the Father says, that's not good enough. Someone says, I love God and hates his brother. He's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Because God's plan for you to love him is to, is to show your love for him via people in addition to via praise. And so if you live your life separate from letting it letting your what God has done in your life pour over on other people, you may think you have a satisfactory relationship with God, but if I can get you to read 1 John and if I can get you to read Jesus uh, more strongly, uh, you're going to find that that's not complete. Now, you don't have to go do it tomorrow. I don't want to scare anybody. You get plenty of time to prepare. But God more than expects, He requires that you learn how to let your love for Him pour over on other people. Otherwise, you fail in the eighth point of, of reaching the divine nature. I used to struggle with this and say, well now, it seems to me that this is awkward because it's easy to love God because He loves me back, but it's not always easy to love people because they don't always love me back. It seems like this doesn't, you know, this, this doesn't thread correctly until I begin to figure it out. The way that God wants you, one of the ways that God wants you to love Him is via people. And that's why, that's why the, the, uh, the emphasis of, uh, in, in Peter's first message, in 1 Peter 4.8, he said, above everything... Love one another. And that's why James says in James 2.8, where he says the royal commandment is this, that you got to love people the way you want to be loved. 
And, and, and so they begin, they began to figure out that, that God doesn't want you just to be a good Christian and sit in a pew the rest of, rest of your life. But in addition to that, learn how to reach other people. And that's why you're involved in, in that's why the Bible studies are involved, uh, is if merely worshiping God was enough, we wouldn't need Bible studies. If merely worshiping God academically was enough, uh, there would be no, no point in, 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 uh, in having quiet times and reading the Bible. Just get together and worship Him. But if He requires for you to understand Him more completely in order to pour over on the people. See, because if knowledge about God is all He wants you to have, then all you have to do is die, go to heaven, and you'll see firsthand everything that He, he is. And He'll ask, answer every question that you want. So knowledge is not the end result. Knowledge, as you, as you saw in, the, in Peter's eight points, Knowledge is a phase to an end. And the end is, and so this knowledge will always be growing. But he events, and, and at Fort Campbell, we have the hardest time. So, some of y'all, hopefully, are, a few of you are going to be in the Army someday. And we hope to get you at Fort Campbell. And when we do, one of the hardest things that we have with people is to try to get them to develop a love for other people. We can get them to love God easy but we can't get them to love other people and now if we can just get them in the bible we'll we'll be able to show them that that is incomplete thanks for listening to the podcast you can help us reach more people by going to itunes subscribing and leaving a review and if you like what we're doing here tell a friend about us in an age of social media word of mouth is still the best way to spread the message